couple announcements. Harvest Party, October 31st. Uh, that'll begin at 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock. It'll end with the concert and the gospel being presented. Um, there's a sign-up sheet out there on the table if you want to help out with that. I only had one clipboard, so you have to flip the pages if you want to do something other than what's on the first page. There's a ton of ways to help, and we certainly could use the help. So if you're available that Saturday, um, we could definitely use your help to minister to these kids that will be coming here to have fun, enjoy themselves, but also to hear the, the message of Jesus. And so um, that sign-up sheet's out there. Um, a lot here in First Chronicles uh, First Chronicles 22, let's pray uh, before we get into the Word, and then we get into the communion, and I just, there's a lot going on today, so I want to get at it. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to come together to worship you in song and to hear your Word and receive it in our hearts and in prayer right now. Uh, we pray that you'd be glorified in all that takes place here at this service for all those at home watching online. Uh, on their phones, wherever they may be. God bless, would you bless them, Lord, and minister to them and help them to uh, just draw closer to you while they're away from us. Um, and we pray that they would join us soon, uh, whether they're sick and healing up and joining the immunity herd, uh, or whether they're just taking precautions, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with them and minister to their hearts right where they are, as you do with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Excited about this chapter, David is preparing the temple to be built, although he can't build it, but he's doing it for his son, who will be able to do it, giving him all the tools necessary, all the materials he'll need to do what was on David's mind, he says, but is given that the task has been given to his son Solomon. Um, we get a lot more details in this chapter about what uh, God had told David and what God is telling Solomon about this temple. Um, and this chapter really clarifies a lot of things for us, but I just love the heart of David, just like what was uh, in, in the video here about how it truly is uh, a true ministry when the person you're blessing or ministering to has nothing to give you in return. There can't be any selfish motivation because you're not going to get anything back. It's simply a gift. It's a, it's a giving, which really helps us understand when we minister to kids what it's like for our father to minister to us. It shows us his heart, his love for us. We have nothing to offer him back. He needs nothing from us. He accepts our sacrifice of praise, but he'd be fine without it too. And yet we offer it to him and he receives it with gladness, just like we receive a hug from a kid with gladness. Um, it's the same idea. And we see David's heart here as a father for his kid and for his God. David's in the middle here just trying to serve everybody. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve my boy and the nation of Israel. I'm just going to serve. And what a beautiful place that is to have that in your heart. And David's in a great spot right now. Begins in verse 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather, to, to gather uh, the aliens who were in the land of Israel and he appointed masons to cut hewn stone to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance. For the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. David's excited. His first two exclamations here in this first verse is, this is the house of the Lord. This is the altar burnt offerings. David's having a vision. 
Um, if you look up the word vision, if you do a word search on the word vision, you'll see it throughout scripture. And every prophet likens its, his, his or her prophecy to a vision. It's a vision from God. Peter has a vision on top of the house. Um, these are things that you just finally realize. It's as if God shows you something, he reveals something to you and you, and you get it, you know, you understand it. And so David's got a vision here. He's been trying to work this thing out for a while now. And he tells God, I want to do something for you. You can't do something for me. Okay, then I won't do something for you. And he kind of toggles, goes into battle, makes a few mistakes. God says, don't number my people. I want you to buy this land over here. And it's amazing how God works all this together for good. Because David's heart was at the beginning of this. This is so great being king of Israel and worshiping God. And Nathan, the prophet, doesn't have a vision, but prophesies anyway out of his own heart. David, do what's all in your heart. And then gets told later on, go back and tell David you can't do all that's in your heart because I didn't give you the vision to do so. So David's heart way back here when things were going perfectly was to build God a house. Then David messes up and decides to count the people. And God works it out so that we can stop the plague going on because of your sin. And in the process, I'm going to have you buy this threshing floor, which is the place where you're going to build that place that you had on your heart so long ago. What a beautiful way of God tying together and using everything to bring him glory. Even my sin, more my repentance from sin. You see what I'm saying? What a beautiful thing. What a great connection. So he buys this threshing floor. Remember Ornan, the, the guy says, you can just have it and take the oxen. He's a super guy, you know. Well, this is the temple mount. This is the place where, this is Mount Moriah. This is the very top. This is where the Dome of the Rock is sitting and so on. And, and well, eventually he's going to be, uh, well, not eventually, before that was the first temple. Solomon's temple is going to be built on this flat Ornan threshing floor, Mount Moriah. That should ring a bell. Genesis 22, Chronicles 22, Psalm 22, Luke 22, all about Jesus, all about this mountain. Every bit of it, every one of those chapters, it's amazing how God ties that together. Even though the chapters and the verses and the numbers that they put with these aren't necessarily inspired, it seems like God worked some of these things out so that we can help help our you know, little feeble brains remember stuff. You know, Genesis 22. I like the 22s. I can keep that. I can keep track of that. Well, here in Chronicles 22, David looks at this place, this threshing floor where he's just offered up the sacrifice to stop the sin that's happening in the camp, to stop or stop the plague that's happening in the camp because of his sin. He realizes this is the place. This is the house of the Lord God. This is the altar of burnt offerings. He's looking at this place. What a wonderful moment. And God will do that throughout our walk with Jesus. He will we'll get excited. We'll make mistakes. He'll give us vision. We get excited. We make mistakes. He gives us vision. And he just keeps building us up that way. And for us, it feels like three steps forward, two steps back, maybe. But for God, it's progress. For God, all he sees is, oh, that's one step forward. I'm doing the math in my head. That's one step forward. As far as I'm concerned, now we get frustrated with ourselves. I'm sure David was frustrated with himself. Why did I count the people? I mean, if I hadn't counted them, I'd had 70,000 more guys, you know? I mean, I'm sure that's not what he was saying. He's probably a little more upset about it than that. But my enthusiasm and my pride got in the way. Now, that's the vision. God gives him this vision. And so David says, this is it. 
He's letting me see the place. Now, I can't build it, but I can certainly gather the stuff. So he says, find all the aliens. Now, what does he mean by that? All the guys that are good. All the guys that can cut rock and those guys can do this kind of stuff. The Sidonians were known for the wood. Remember, they sent it down, the cedars down the river. Hey, give David a bunch of cedars for his house. And he built this really great house. And that's how this whole thing got started. Well, the Sidonians are still bringing him stuff. And they're still there, apparently. Because they're sitting there waiting in the wings saying, do you want us to build anything else while we're down here? And You know, it takes years to build these things. So maybe they've established residency or something. But they're still there. And so he gets this vision. This is the place. This is the place that we're going to build this. I'm going to start gathering the materials and do this. Um, one of the visions that Peter got, um, and I didn't remember my notes this time, um, is in, uh, um, it's in Acts uh, where Peter's on top of the house and, and he's waiting to figure out what he's supposed to do next. And he was hungry and he's in a vision from the Lord and the Lord shows him the sheet that comes down with all the different kind of animals and all the things you're not supposed to eat as a good Jewish boy. And God says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, I'm not going to do it. And you know the story, maybe. If you don't, you can look it up. And finally, God shows him, you need to eat everything I tell you to eat because I've cleansed it. And it's okay because I've said it's okay. And Peter realizes he's not just talking about food. He's talking about the Gentiles. You don't just stay away from Gentiles. You go to the Gentiles because I've cleansed the Gentiles. So now tell the Gentiles about Jesus. Oh, so Peter realizes it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. The mystery of the church. The mystery of the church. Okay, I got it. So he gets this vision. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. I love that verse. It's a good reminder for all of us old saints to write down the vision that God's given us so that the younger folks that are running with the vision that we've given them, whether that's in Sunday school, whether that's at home or people that you meet on the street, make sure that we're writing it clear on tablets that they, as they're running with this vision, they can read it. It's not a mystery. Hey, just go do this. Why are we doing this? Never mind. Just do it. No. Read. They need to be able to run and say, what am I carrying the vision? Ah, ah. And now they're included and they're a part of it. You're a part of it. It needs to be your own. And we're going to see that happen with Solomon. David has a vision, but Solomon needs to have the vision too. Vision is caught. It's not taught. It's very difficult to teach vision to somebody. They need to catch vision. They need to have their own vision from the Lord. And we're going to see this in this transition from the old Saint David to the new Saint Solomon Solomon needs to have his own vision from the Lord. Now, they're going to go together, and they should go together, or one of them's off. They should mesh up. Now, David is gathering the stuff, and there is a little bit of uh, parent pressure in this, next, in this chapter. Like, I've gone to a lot of trouble to put all this stuff together. All right, Dad. You know, kind of thing with Solomon. But Solomon then, and David understands this, gets his own vision from the Lord with what to do with all this material. Now, David doesn't know how much, how little. He's just saying, I'm just going to get you a bunch of nails. You may only need 10 pounds of nails, but I'm giving you 100 pounds of nails kind of thing. I don't know how many logs you're going to need, but I'm going to cut a bunch of logs. And that's how he goes through this process. David says, I don't know exactly how this is all going to go together, but I know that he'll give you the vision for it, Solomon. And I want you to run with it. And so Habakkuk reminds us, write it clear on tablets that they may, those that run with it may read it. Verse 5. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. 
And the house is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. He calls it like it is, and it's true. There's nothing wrong with being young and inexperienced. It's just a fact. Everybody's young and inexperienced until they're not young and they're not inexperienced anymore. There's nothing you can do about it. A 20-year-old just doesn't know as much as a 50-year-old. They don't. They don't. I think I do. Well, you'd be wrong. You don't. And a 50-year-old doesn't know near as much as an 80-year-old. It's just a fact. That's why we need to be in contact with all these generations need to be blended together to glean, to pull. Now, some of the stuff the 50-year-olds learned and 80-year-olds have learned is garbage. Honestly, I got a lot of garbage up here that I don't need to be passing on to the 20-year-old. But I'm going to let God do that and work that out. And we need to take that with a grain of salt. Not every 80-year-old man lying in bed in some nursing home has a lot of wisdom to share. They might have some wisdom to share, or they may have a bunch, depending on how they live their life according to God. If they live a godly life, they're going to have a ton. If they live an ungodly life, well, they're going to have kind of a... uh, uh, well, uh, a checkered past that we can learn from also. You, you, like I said, you're a proverb either way. <laughs> you're always going to be a proverb. You're either a good proverb or a bad proverb. Just don't do what he does or do exactly what he does. David says he's young and inexperienced, this Solomon. He needs to know, and I need to make this sure and clear, this house needs to be not only magnificent, but exceedingly magnificent. It not only means to be famous, it needs to be exceedingly famous. Not only glorious, but exceedingly glorious. I want Solomon to build a house for my God that's amazing. And I don't want him to say, you want a house for the God? Okay. Uh, what a 20 by 30 do? You know? No. How about, should we, should we overlay it with bronze? No. Let's do gold. You know, you need to get this. And David understands this. He might not have the experience and he might not have the uh, age behind him to understand how great God is yet. And, and you can't help that. As a younger person who's in the crowd today and are listening or watching online, you can't help that. As you walk with the Lord, um, like Paul and like every other person in the Bible, you're not unusual. You start off with your idea of who God is based on what you know. And as you get to know him more, if you get to know him more, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you get smaller and smaller and smaller. There's no other way around it. You realize I don't know near as much. Paul, what a great example, right? I am the, I'm the least of the apostles. He starts off his ministry that way. Halfway through his ministry, he says, I'm the least of the saints. And at the end of his ministry, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You see, and that's how every person walks with the Lord. If they walk with the Lord till, till they die, he just gets bigger and we get smaller and he gets famous and amazing and we get humble and broken. And it's, a, it's beautiful how it works out. So David understands that. That's some wisdom coming through at the end of his life. I want this to be magnificent. I want it to be famous. I want it to be glorious. I'm going to prepare. So when, da- when Solomon walks into David's uh, temple warehouse, you know, Hey, Solomon, I got to show you something. I got building materials for that. He's walking, is it in that building? No, it's in that building, you know, the big one. Whoa. And we slide open the big barn doors on it. We look, he says, okay, 
I understand now. You're going to want this big. You know, as he looks at all the materials, you really want a big, big temple. Exactly. I think you got it. So David's way of transmitting this to Solomon is to gather as much as he can. So he gets his son. Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So there is a little bit of, you're going to build this house when I'm dead. Okay. There's no, all right, dad, you know, kind of thing. Little nepotism here. This is the way it is. You're just going to have to do it. And David said to Solomon, but, but David understands that Solomon doesn't have the vision yet. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made, uh, you have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, which means peaceful. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Solomon, God told me to tell you as your dad that he told me I can't build it because I've been a man of war. Not that he wasn't supposed to be a man of war. You know that God told him to do those things. You need to be a man of war. You need to do those things. But the one who builds my house needs to go to phase two, which is a place of peace. Joshua was a man of war. He couldn't have built a house for the Lord and so on all the way up to David, David being the king. He was a man of war. I don't want you doing that. But Solomon, whose name is peaceful, him, I want him. I want to build the temple. He's the one I want to do. I I want to, to do this job. Now, remember, this is a picture. This is a picture of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and so on. There's a battle raging. We're in that battle. When Jesus comes back, there's a huge battle, but he's going to establish his kingdom and it's going to be a kingdom of peace. He's the prince of peace, he's called in Isaiah 9.6. So he passes this on. God told me this, and this is where we learn. Oh, so you couldn't build it because you shed a lot of blood. He didn't want a man of war building it. And I don't know why. I don't want to speculate. Well, I will speculate, but I don't want to take it with a grain of salt. But if you, as a man of war, built a temple to a god, it's inevitable that it's just going to be called the temple of the god of war because of the guy who built it. Well, he was a man of war, and he worshipped this god, and he built a temple to his god, and he won a lot of battles, so this must be a god of war. It just kind of goes hand in hand. And God says, "I, I do do that, but that's not what I want to happen at this temple. This temple is a place of peace, and we know why. Because he wants peace between God and man. I don't want it to be war. I'm not, I'm not after you. I, I, I'm not a hammer waiting to come down on your head. This is the place where you offer up sacrifices for sins so that we have peace between one another, between God and man. I want that. And so I want someone named Solomon, which means peaceful, your son, and I'm going to show it here on earth so that everybody can see there's going to be peace from all of your enemies. You're going to have a king called Peaceful, and he's going to build a temple. And so that temple will be known as the Peaceful Palace, so to speak. You see, I want that to be what I'm known for, bringing peace. He shall build a house for my name. And so God told me to do this. I want you to understand this, Solomon. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. 
and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Throughout David's life and throughout the Bible, you'll see, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, David. It's because of your kingdom, David. And it seemed like everybody after David was just going to be blessed because David was such a great guy. Like they were receiving the afterglow of David's life, so to speak. You know, like Moses would come down from the mountain and everybody else was like, oh, cover yourself. You're too bright because you've been with God. I haven't, but you have. He switches it here. In fact, at the end of verse 10, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom over Israel forever. It's not just dad's kingdom. And I'm a custodian of dad's kingdom. No, no, no. It's going to be Solomon's kingdom. You may have been his dad, and it's a great heritage, but it's going to be yours. And David understands that. God's told me this. I want him to prosper you, and I want him to give you wisdom as he has said to you. As he has said to you. You're going to hear from God. God's going to show you what to do. I've given you the command, please go build this temple when I die. And I'm going to give you all the stuff to do it, but he's going to show you how to do this. And isn't that how it's supposed to be when we walk with the Lord? It shouldn't be some fresh new generation that's doing something completely different that was done before. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I should be doing the same thing they did in the book of Acts, maybe with Facebook now, or Instagram, or Twitter, or something a little more updated. But it should still be the same thing. And the next generation should still be preaching the same thing as the book of Acts, And what our generation preached, it should still be the same thing, but maybe in a better way or a new way, if that's okay. But the message doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't change. The truth doesn't ever change. And so he passes this on to his kid. God's going to show you how to build this temple. And believe me, you're going to want to build the temple. I don't know if I feel the same way about it as you do, Dad. You will. God will speak to you. And when God starts talking to you, if you really want to hear from him, then he'll tell you the same thing he told me and he'll say the same thing he told Abraham and the same thing he told Isaac and Jacob and everybody else. He's the same. The message doesn't change from person to person, from generation to generation. It's the same. He's the same person. We're different. I want him to give you the wisdom he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. It's the same thing he told David. It's the same thing he told Joshua. God is telling these men of God the same thing he's always told them. I want you to be strong. I want you to be of good courage. I don't want you to fear. And I don't want you to be confused or dismayed. That's God's heart for everybody here this morning. I want you all here to be strong. I want you to all be of good courage. I don't want you to be fearful, and I don't want you to be dismayed or confused. That never changes. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) You know, I appreciate that. And, And that's what he prays. When Solomon becomes king... And God says, I'm going to give to you whatever you want, you ask, I'm going to give to you. He says, I just want wisdom, Solomon says. Because I feel like a little child, just like dad said earlier, inexperienced and young. I feel like a little kid who doesn't know what he's doing, and I've got to rule all these people, and I don't know what to do. And God says, oh, I'm going to give you wisdom, all right. And he is. He's going to be the wisest man that's ever lived outside of Jesus. 
wisest man ever. And I'm going to bless you with all the other stuff you didn't ask before. God said, that's a nutshell, but that's what he says. And so David says, I know you're going to need wisdom and may God give it to you. And Solomon's like, I'm going to remember that. And he prays that God, give me wisdom. And God does. And gives him the vision for this temple. And this temple becomes, it does become famous in all the world. It does become famous in all the nations to the point where people come to visit Solomon because of his wisdom, but also to see this temple. Now, this temple is, and we'll see this later on, completely covered with gold on the outside. So it's up on Mount Moriah. It's up on the threshing floor there of of Ornan. And so when any king from any, Jerusalem's up, it just is. That's why we say we went up to Jerusalem. Even if you came from the north, you still go up to Jerusalem. It's because it's, it's, it's topographical. It's this, it goes up. Okay. And so no matter what king would come to Jerusalem from whatever direction, when the sun hit this temple on top of this Mount Moriah, it's, well, I guess that's Jerusalem over there because there's the temple of the living God. It was like a light on top of a hill in a city shining for all to see and all men from everywhere and all women from everywhere could go up to the temple of the Lord. You see, I want you to make this big. I got it, Solomon says. Verse 14, indeed, I have taken much trouble. To, this, is the, this, is the, this is where I see a little bit of father pressure coming in here. Indeed, I've taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver. You guys should do the math on this and what that's worth today. And bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also. You may add to them. I love that little, those little, little snippets in there just bring a little humanity into it, but you can get more rock if you want to. You could get more stone. I've got some stone, but you could do more. Because David doesn't know. And that's how you know he doesn't know. If David knew the plans are exactly how it's supposed to be, he'd have cut enough stone. It'd be like a, like a prefab all there in the warehouse. They put number one over there, you know, and David would have numbered them two. This is block two, block three. David says, no, I've cut some wood. I've cut some, I've cut some, I got some gold, so much gold. I mean, we can't even count it all. And there's a bunch of rock. You can add more. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen, stone cutters, and all types of skillful men of every kind of work. Solomon, it's not going to be up to you to do it all. There's a bunch of men with certain gifts for certain tasks, and they're at your disposal to use. They'll all be there. They'll all be there. What a daunting task as Solomon's listening to his dad. You're going to build this temple. I don't know the first thing about construction. I don't know how to do wiring. I don't know how to do plumbing. What do you mean drywall? You know, I don't know any of that stuff. I've been there. I think we've all been there at one point, you know. You just got to get your hands on it sometimes to learn. But And then someone comes along that just really knows what they're doing, you know. Oh. Thank you, God, for this wonderful person that knows what they're doing, you know. And so he's giving him a little encouragement. I've got all this stuff for you, Solomon. All the workmen over here of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. Hmm. Exciting, a little scary, but time well spent, you know, a life well spent, a ministry, a uh, a direction, you know, who knows what Solomon, you grow up in the king's house. What's your job? Well, my job's to be a prince. 
What's that mean? I don't know. To wear a smaller crown than my dad? You know, to walk around with a little less robes than he has? They bow down to me like they bow down to him, but only like halfway and they don't really care. They don't, you know, what is my job? David says, oh man, do you have a job? You have a job so big that God says, I can't do it. You have a job, a ministry so much bigger than mine. Mine was to conquer. Mine was to grab ground. Mine was to hold territory. Mine was to accomplish what I accomplished, but God has got something more for you. He's given you the ministry of peace. The ministry of peace. Amazing. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, is not the Lord your God, is not the Lord your God with you? Yeah. And has he not given you rest on every side? He has. For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Man, underline that. That's the most important part of today's message. If you, if you forgot everything else that was ever said this morning, underline these words right here. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. You do that with your life, you're fine. You'll be absolutely fine if you set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. It's, it's everything. You, you'll fix everything in your life. You will change everything in your life. You will be on God's path you will be doing exactly what he wants you to do if you set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God because he wants to be sought. He tells us that. I want you to seek after me. I want you to seek after the things of God. I want you to. I want you to seek. It's not like they're hidden or buried or something, but they're not out in the open to where anybody or anyone could just grab them. But if you seek it, you'll, you'll find it. I'll make sure of it. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you want your life fixed, I will fix your life. But you've got to make the decision. You've got to seek it. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary. That's a place of rest to the Lord God. And bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. So Solomon, here's your job. I've done my part. And all the people around Solomon, I want you to have that same heart. I want you to seek after the Lord. And I want you to bring everything in. I want you to serve and to help. In Acts chapter 17, verses 23 through 25, Paul trying to get people away from, he's on top of uh, Mars Hill is what they called it back then, the Areopolis. And he was, he was sharing, well, Everybody would stand on top of this Mars Hill and tell everybody what they thought about the universe, what they thought their philosophy was, what they thought their God was, okay? And so Bob would get up and say, hi, my name's uh, Bob, and I worship Bobina, you know, a God I've created with my own hands, and here's what Bobina likes, and they would say that. Well, it got to Paul's turn, and Paul saw this and had such heart for the, for the Corinthians that he says this. He stands up on, the, on Mars Hill, and he says, men and brethren, he says, um, I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So they've got all their gods represented. And in case they forgot, they put this unknown, you know, the generic God. He, he kind of covers all the, you know, the, the, the holes in case we missed any God holes or whatever. It says, I noticed this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. 
I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. Well, he's unknown. What do you mean you're going to tell me about the unknown God? I happen to know him, Paul says. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, which is what we're talking about here, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he goes on. Now, I bring that up because Paul knew his mission, not only to these Greeks and the philosophers and all the people in Corinth that were listening to all these other gods, to get their mind off of the material and what they could see, to get on their minds on the spiritual things. God is forever trying to do that for us as well. He doesn't live in a house made uh, with hands. He isn't going to live in this temple. It's too small for him. He told David that the earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? You know, and yet go ahead and build it. And I'll let my Shekinah glory come down, which is this, you know, that just light, you know, the light and it'll shine out and I'll let you make my chair, but it's all a mock-up. It's all a picture because I'm so, so big. but I want you to have that representation. I want you to see this is what it's like in heaven. This is where I sit. This is where you can come to me. I'm, I'm like light. You can draw near to me and you can worship me. And here's a place to go to because you like places and so on. But Paul in the book of Acts tells these folks, they're, they're, he doesn't live in temples. It's not really his house. Later on, he writes to the same group in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple? of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, the threshing floor of Ornan. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. That threshing floor was bought at a price. The temple's being built now on that rock, that firm rock that Christ has laid for you, your foundation in your life. It's laid, and I will build my house upon that rock of your life, and I want to build it. And I'm going to give you all the materials you need. I'm going to give you all the wood, all the gold, all the nails, all the iron. Everything you need is going to be right here. But you need to seek after me with all of your heart and soul. And do it. And I will build that house. And I will build your life. And I will make your life what it was supposed to be. Here's the materials. The threshing floor has been paid for. Now build. Now build. You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Guys, he wants you to be exceedingly magnificent. He wants you to be exceedingly famous, exceedingly glorious, bringing him all three of those things with your life, that when people look at you, they see a light on top of a hill, and they're drawn to that. And you say, it's not me. I'm just a golden stone and wood thing. The light in me, though, because this, this temple is not beautiful until God shows up. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord is shining out of it. And that's what happens to us, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The world is drawn to it. All men and women are drawn to this place to see what is it about this place. Let me tell you about this true and living God. And, and Paul gets it. It, it. it never was in the temple. It's always been in us. So set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. 
And therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God. And then bring in his seat into the temple of your heart into there, and let it sit there and let him sit on there and bring in all the articles of gold into the house that is to be built for his namesake. Get rid of all the other furniture that's in there. Let God redecorate your life. Remove it all. None of it's going to be any good, by the way. Throw it all out. Let him bring in all new stuff. Everything. We're going to have communion now. It's a great, great day to have that. Um, as we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. As we take this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice, we're reminded that Jesus died on the cross. He paid for us. He paid for that threshing floor. And he wants to build upon this rock. I'll build my church. He wants to build. And uh, we need to let him. And so this morning as we have the, thank you, Mick, this bread and this cup, and, 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 and we share together as a body because the Bible kind of toggles between this. Not only does he want to build you individually into a temple of the Holy Spirit, he also says, I'm building my church the same way as if you're a brick and I'm a brick and we're all bricks together and the church becomes the temple of the living God also. Okay, So each person is their own temple, but then also he wants to build us all. And that's what we're doing here. We're reminded individually, that's why little cups and little pieces of bread for each of us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we need to let God build our lives and be thankful for what he's done for us. But also we're all doing it together in the same room, knowing that the church is being built up. And so that's what we're doing here this morning. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. The next day, I'm going to die on the cross. My body's going to be broken. And I'm doing this now to let you know that this is on purpose. My body's broken so that your body doesn't have to be broken. I'm going to take the penalty for your sins. And so do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we take this little piece of bread that's been broken up into little pieces, and we remember that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He also picked up his cup at that table the night before his death. And he said, this is the cup of my new covenant Big deal. What do you mean a new covenant? New Testament hadn't been written yet. New covenant hadn't been heard of yet. Old Testament, yeah. Old covenant, yeah. This is the new covenant of my blood that's shed for you. All the Old Testament, talking about all those animal sacrifices and all that blood that was shed, he says, no, 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 it's this. That was all a picture of what I'm going to do for you. My blood shed for you. Every lamb that was ever slain, every ox that was ever slain for your sins was temporary. I am the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the new covenant. And so take and drink as often as you drink this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that this morning. That Jesus' broken body was for us in replace of us. And that his shed blood is for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. We're thankful for that. Lord, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup. We thank you so much for letting us not only have individual cups and, and pieces of bread, but also that they all came from the same loaf and from the same jug of Welch's grape juice, Lord. It's, it's, uh, it's all you. It all came from you. Our forgiveness all comes from you. And yet it's, it's for each of us individually also. So Lord, this morning we remember your broken body and your shed blood for our sins. And we do this this morning in remembrance of you, in honor of you, bringing you glory, magnificence, and and. And, and, and make you famous, Lord, in all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. See
if you're at home watching and, oh man, I wish I'd have been there for communion, go to your fridge and just grab something out of there. It's the same thing. Grab some bread, grab some juice, it doesn't have to be grape juice, it's whatever you've got handy, and just have that time with the Lord. Don't forget to do these things. It's to remind you. We're reminded and we want you to be with us, but if you weren't and weren't able to, just go do it. Take that time with the Lord. Quiet your house, your, turn everything off after the service maybe, and just have this moment with the Lord and thank Him for what He's done for you. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank you for this time we've had in your word together, sharing communion, the encouragement of David and Solomon and all the people of Israel, making you famous in all the earth. Lord, that's our heart too, that you'd build us up, not only a holy priesthood, but a temple filled with your Holy Spirit, that all the world might know who you are and that we might make you famous, Lord, that they all might know. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you. And then break your glasses too.